Okay, hello and welcome to our podcast from the APA in Belfast. Uh, I am joined today by Professor Andrew Wolfe, who is going to talk to us about debriefing the team. Uh, Professor Andrew Wolfe, President of the APA, uh, and qualified from Cambridge, um, and now works in Bristol in cardiac anaesthesia. Uh, And he was appointed chair to chair chair of uh, anaesthesia in Bristol in 2001. So thank you for joining us, uh, Professor. Can you start by categorising uh, events and, and the appropriate response? So I think there, there is a, a discoordination between bad events that happen or bad outcomes that happen and actually the responses, and I think you have to see them separately. What do I mean by that? It means that, uh, let's say, for example, we'll run a scenario that you come to a cardiac arrest and the result of that cardiac arrest is a good outcome. That good outcome can be associated with really good team responses where everybody works well, but it can also be associated with a good outcome when the team has not worked very well, but the patient has survived and done okay. Those are very different events. If if the team has done well, then that's something to reflect on and to look at why the team has done well. If it's gone badly, then there is a real need to debrief the team, find out, even if it's gone out well, why it didn't go well, and to try then to affect those things that will make things go well. The converse of that is that things can go badly, and things can go badly, but everybody's done the right thing. And again, although you need a debrief after, let's say, a cardiac arrest that's gone badly, uh, if the team has worked well, and when you analyse and unpick what happened when you look and see everybody's done their job and everything has happened in the right order in the right way, then that is a very good example of good practice and and, and you can build on that. And obviously if things have gone badly for the patient and gone badly for the team, that requires some some work. Okay, so that's quite important that even if it's been a good outcome, um, because I think most of us associate the the term debrief with uh, something that's gone wrong. Why is it important to to debrief the team after so in the area that I work, which is paediatric, cardiac, anaesthesia and intensive care, uh, I think it's important to, as you progress the team, to analyse that which has gone well and that which has gone badly. And that is the way a team not only bonds but also improves. You, teams don't, get the, don't stay the same. They either get better or worse. And the team that does not analyse what happens, even when it's happening well, will deteriorate. So in our own practice in Bristol, we have for many years, we have a performance meeting every week. That performance meeting reviews all the cases of the week. If it's been a a sort of simple case that's gone well, there haven't been any issues, we don't dwell too long on that. But if there are examples of good practice, which we think we could build on, we discuss that. If there are things that haven't gone so well, even minor things... We effectively are debriefing. So we are, by having a performance meeting, you debrief both good events and bad events to the good of the team and to the ultimate aim of improving patient performance. One of the logistical issues with this is that teams are multidisciplinary with different time constraints. So how do we go about sort of organising a debrief of such a large team? 
So let's take an example that things have not gone well. So let's say you have had a death on the table. Now, interestingly, in recent years, I've worked in the United States, and it's almost a mandatory part of practice. If you have something that goes badly, there has to be a debrief. And that debrief has a timeline on it. It has to happen within 24 hours of the event. Ideally, the first debrief has to happen as early as possible after the event has happened. So, for example, if you have an extreme example would be a death on the table. There are a number of issues that have to be dealt with. You have to deal with the practicalities of the family. You have to deal with the practicalities of the safety of the system. So if the system has failed because something's gone wrong, that, that practice, so let's say there's, there's some mechanical problem in the operating theatre, then you have to quarantine that operating theatre. You then probably at that point need to have an early debrief and work out what your team is going to be that is going to deal with the debrief from the clinical aspect. There is also a separate process which will go on with the trust. So the trust will have written policies of management when uh, things go wrong. That is very useful and is very good. But on the other hand, I think it's important for uh, everyone to be aware that the trust goals may not entirely be the same as the team goals. And we've uh, had this issue and come across this before. For example, the, the, the trust will have a very regimented approach that will be protocolised. They will have people who sometimes know nothing about, let's say, paediatric cardiac or even paediatric practice and will run through a flow sheet of what you do when bad stuff happens. And that will be to the, it'll be very important for the trust because the trust need to protect the patients that you look after. They also need to protect themselves. And they have, they're now constrained by things like duty of candor, which is now, since the Francis report has become a, a very big issue. The team, on the other hand, have those issues, but they also have the underlying team performance issues. Uh, you, you know, if you're working in a high, intensity area like paediatric intensive care, paediatric cardiac, every little variance is, is it needs to be collated and, and you're trying to, like high level sport, you're trying to summate your marginal gains and, and, and get improvement. So a debrief after something's gone bad, you have to deal with the practicalities, the family issues, the trust issues, the issues of the team, which means a debrief as soon as possible with all the elements of the people there, and you may then have legal issues to deal with. So uh, if there is potentially uh, a blame that may happen, then uh, you may have to contact your own legal protection. And I would emphasise at this point that also, you know, before the debrief or at the time of debrief, the, the notes need to be contemporaneous, they need to be accurate, they need to be truthful because they become legal documents when things go wrong. So there are all these different streams that are going on. There are the trust streams, there are the legal streams, there are the family streams, there are the team streams. They all are generally working together in the same fashion, but they all have specific differences and they must all be addressed. So if we continue with your example, let's stay with the death on the table. Um, the anaesthetist uh, and his uh, anaesthetic nurse ODP are, are going to be very traumatised, Should what, how central should their role be in organising the debrief or should it be a colleague not involved with the case? 
So the involvement of somebody who is senior, who works in the same uh, department, is invaluable. Now, when we come on to th these elements of the debrief, the evidence base for this starts to become quite limited. And uh, in the talk that I gave in Belfast, I, I cited two papers which I think are very useful. One was the uh, ASA members survey, which was a uh, prospective survey where they looked at 1,200 uh, members. They, they, got, uh, they selected randomly 1,200 members. They were looking primarily at, at adult uh, practice and uh, they asked them a series of questions about the support that they had. There was also another uh, paper which I cited, it was an Australian paper, which was looking at trainees and how trainees um, felt uh, supported, how they felt best supported. And so to answer your question uh, on that issue, certainly if you just go back to the trainees, the trainees had issues about support and, and, and support when things went wrong. And if they had a senior person who was who took on their case and, and as part of their department and was their kind of mentor and, and trainer, then they felt supported. And and Everybody pretty much felt that the concept of debriefing was useful. But those who were debriefed and were supported by their colleagues within their department uh, found that they were able to cope with the, with the events much better. They felt supported and they felt okay. However, interestingly, in the Australian training anaesthetist survey, the reality... That's what they felt. But the reality was 50% who had had events did not feel supported by their departments. In other words, they hadn't had that senior mental support. So the message, I think, from your question is that it, it, it's important for senior colleagues to be maybe identified early, to be a mentor and to be involved in the early debrief to also potentially be involved in going to see the parents. So if the parents uh, need to be debriefed, you need to not put yourself in a position, as a, certainly as a trainee, where you would go to see parents on your own. You need your senior mentor with you, and you, you need a buddy at that stage. Yes. Um, and so following on from that, um, can you give us an indication of how we as a group of anaesthetists what, what effects it tends to have on us when we experience an event like this? Well, I would go back to the ASA uh, study that they published in anaesthesia and analgesia. And, and interestingly, a lot of people had responses that they reported in this, in this paper. So, and these were high levels of reporting. So I'll go in, in the order of the the, the most common. So we're talking about starting off with 70% of people after the, a bad event relive the event. Uh, and then going down in order, but again, high levels of, of percentage these are. Anxiety, guilt, fear of litigation, depression, sleeplessness, fear of judgment by colleagues, and that obviously may also relate to the issue about support from your colleagues. Anger, and professional self-doubt. These are all things that uh, lingered with people who had suffered uh, an event on the table for often for months, if not years for some.
Okay, you've touched on this a little bit uh, about, you've mentioned talking with the family, but I think this is an area that most of us struggle with. Um, do you have any advice on how we approach talking to the family in the event of a death? Okay, so I, I, I think it is easier for me because I have, um, I, I do intensive care. I'm also involved with uh, things that go wrong uh, perhaps more often because in paediatric cardiac, although the mortality is low now, it, events do happen. And, and I would actually, as a caveat, in, the, in both all the studies that are around that look at events or catastrophic events and anaesthesia, it's not just a once-in-a-lifetime event. All of us in our career are going to at least once or twice come across these bad events that happen. So at some point, we are going to have to ask exactly the question which you just asked, which is, what am I going to do about seeing the family? So taking you back, first of all, um, you don't want to see them on your own. And if you're a trainee, you want somebody very senior with you. You also it may be very helpful to have somebody from another discipline or even somebody from the trust or one of the nursing team who know them uh, when you see a family after these kind of events. In my own personal reflection, my sort of checklist of what I do when I see the family is, first of all, I don't delay. If I think things are going badly, so for example, I'm in the operating theatre and things are not looking good, I will go out of the operating theatre, I will talk to the family and say, things are not going well. I will pre-prepare them, pre-prime them. And, and, and one also says that if you're getting involved in a high-risk operation beforehand, you also pre-prepare them in that you indicate that this, there is risk in this. And whereas perhaps an ASA 1 child or ASA 2 child having a tonsillectomy, you're not going to trouble the parents with that, you know, other than it's, it's a once in a you know, blue moon event. If you are doing something that's complex, that might have a risk, I think you have to say that. So my reflection is don't delay. Say what you know directly to the parents. Say what you don't know to the parents. Because usually after an event like this, you can be quite clear that you won't know the answer. And that you need to give them an idea of the process that will take place, both from the team and the trust, and maybe wider, maybe the legal team and coroners and so forth. They need to have some understanding of that. Always have another person present. Never see the family on your own. Always make sure there's an empathic person. Often one of the nursing staff, that's very useful. So say what you know. So it, say what you don't know. And also I think it's very important to express the empathy of the whole team towards the situation. In my own experience, and, and others who have uh, written about these kind of terrible events, they, the, the parents will often come back and say that was really good, that you expressed sorrow and sadness and just saying you're sorry that this has happened, but it has happened. And, and I think showing that empathy, even if it is emotionally traumatising for yourself as you do it, I think is important. And uh, I, I said in my lecture that there have been times when I've, I've displayed that emotion to the parents and you think, well, that's very unprofessional. Mm. But actually, I think it's more important to be a human first and a professional second. And as long as you are totally scrupulously honest about what went on, you then have made relationship with those parents. And you may be seeing those parents many times. Okay, thank you for... Um, it's an important topic which I think we could all improve on. Uh, I know you've already mentioned that 
evidence is is sparse, but is there any way you could direct us for sort of further reading on this topic? I think I have a, I've, I left a reference list in my talk. So if you go to the talk, you'll find a number of really uh, good uh, articles that I think encapsulate what I, I, I think and I believe. And I think if you're going to go for a one-stop place, the, in 2005, the Association of Anaesthetists published a uh, document called Catastrophes in Anaesthetic Practice, dealing with the aftermath. That, in a relatively short document, encapsulates all the things that, that I believe in. And I think that would be my first go-to place. The other thing that I think and I think may be of enormous value is, like all rare events, simulation. This is a really good um, area to involve in simulation. It would be low-tech simulation with role-play, but actually working through those scenarios uh, will give you something to hold on to when the real event happens. And I think it's very important. Professor Andrew Wolfe, thank you very much. Thank you.